Hello everyone and welcome to the official Depression to Expression podcast. My name is Scott, this is where we have an honest dialogue about mental health and everything affects mental health, so no topic is off limits. We have an incredible guest, only incredible guest, you kidding me? Who do you think I am here? No, but seriously, Joe. we're going to talk with her about physical trauma. How does this affect the mind? How can you have an awesome perspective when you're undergoing tragedy and suffering? Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy one. Welcome, everyone, to Depression to Expression. My name is Scott, and we have Joe here, and I'm just going to introduce Joe um, so you all know kind of where we're coming from, why she's on the channel, why she is an amazing human being. So let's start off. Well, Joe is a public speaker, advocate, and writer who passionately, I cannot stress that enough, passionately believes in the incredibly persevering capacity of the human soul. We may not have the exact same life experience, but she knows that as human beings, we have the unique capacity to help each other heal and grow by sharing our stories. So Joe founded, I, did you hear that in the back? It was like a Facebook message. Kids, kids, you always turn off your phones when introducing someone. It's very, very disrespectful. Keep that on. We're good to go. So Joe founded Trauma Talk in 2016 when she began sharing how she found life in the aftermath of surviving multiple sexual assaults in an abusive relationship. Now, two years later, we're almost at the three-year mark now, two years later, when I, uh, she realized she was going to have to lose her leg, she turned on that camera once again and founded Footless Joe. So Joe basically has two YouTube channels now. It's the Trauma Talk and Footless Joe, and both are extremely successful. So Joe... How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Scott. No problem. And everyone, where Joe is, it's an early 10 a.m. and I'm at 12 p.m. So I'd like to thank Joe, first of all, for, for waking up early. But you're usually up early anyways, <laughs> right? It's 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. 10's not, 10's not too early here. <laughs> but we spoke about last time, um, well, before we recorded, it's like... You're up early, but in order to actually get that mind running and some some thoughts racing a little bit and the speech uh, and and tongue warmed up, you know, yes. you're up at eight, but wait till ten before you do anything serious like uh, a talk, public hours. speaking. <laughs> Precisely. Otherwise, you just get all jumbled. I don't like it. I need to. That's, I need to warm up to wake That's up. right. I I hope you're warmed up because you're gonna talk a lot. Here we go. <laughs> So for the audience and, and the people watching and listening, um, Joe, what are you all about with, with, let's start with Footless Joe, actually, and your yeah. story around, you know, uh, the, the foot pain you were experiencing. And so you're now an amputee, and this is what Footless Joe is all about. So how did this all come to be? And how did it go from foot pain to then, then losing your foot? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a long story, but in um, we have in time. short, <laughs> we have time. Podcasts are great. That's right. Um, I was 13 and I was horseback riding at a local barn. It was like what I dreamed of my entire life. I loved horses. I was obsessed with them, but I never really taken them out of like the barn, you know. And I got a chance to go on a trail ride with a couple of my best friends, like this big open field in the middle of nowhere. And turns out horses really like to run if you let them. Uh, and I, I wasn't a skilled enough rider to really be in that experience. 
And so the horse kind of took off after a while and tripped at one point and I went over its shoulder and fell. Um, blacked out for a second, so I'm not entirely sure how I fell, but I shattered my ankle. That led to, I mean, that was when I was 13. So the next 14 years, I had 10 different surgeries on my ankle, um, trying to piece it back together. It was fused when I was 15. Um, that didn't fix the problem. So they kept going back in, kept doing things. And during that time, I tried to be like, tried to be as active as I could be. Because when you have that taken away, you realize how important and amazing it is like to be able to go to the gym and walk or just do anything. Um, so for a while there, I was trying to do like uh, mixed martial arts, but you can't really do that so well if your ankle really hurts. So that was stopped pretty quickly. And um, uh, hiking, I would love to like go walk my dogs and stuff, but it was always something where I was constantly being stopped by pain. I was on painkillers all the time. I was eating Advil like, you know, it was my best friend. And um, back about a year and a half, I guess two years ago now, it got to the point where I, I couldn't walk. Like I just, I couldn't walk. I couldn't do my job. I could not take my dogs for a walk around the block. Um, and got to the point where it wasn't livable. Um, so I could have kept my leg and looked like a whole, in quotes, normal person. But I was taking more and more painkillers every day to like exist. I couldn't take a step without excruciating pain. And the only options that the doctors had for me were really crappy ones. They were just continued surgeries, kind of like shots in the dark. Like we could have replaced my ankle, but that would have left me with more pain still and less mobility than I had anyways. And I started really thinking seriously about just amputating it. And the doctors were on board with that. Like they said, you know, it's time. Um, and so last October, October, 2018, um, we went ahead and chopped it off. <laughs> what, what an expression, <laughs> chopped it off. Now, from someone from my perspective, I find this incredible that, that it had to come to you losing the leg. Like is surgery that far gone? Could they not have, like you could have had the ankle replacement and I saw you were, yeah. You were featured in a bunch of publications. One was Fox News. And reading yeah. the comments of, of that article, I think people are confused almost. Like, did the doctors failed or I yeah. wish she tried something else before <laughs> losing it. I don't think people understand the full story and how much pain you were in. They don't. Um, yeah. So, like, the doctors gave you a few options. What were the options specifically? Yeah. Do you know? The options at the end, um, and this was again, cause I, I'm taking your story public, everyone has an opinion and um, people took interest in this story. And so I've gotten lots of opinions and lots of comments. And the most consistent one is you shouldn't have done this. Like it looked perfectly fine. Like you shouldn't have cut your leg off so young. Um, but that's easy to say, I say this like compassionately, I hope that no one's in that kind of pain. That's easy to say, like, if you haven't been in pain for 14 years, it's easy to say, like, if you have a semi-functioning body. Um, but by the time that I got to last year, the only option I had was either stay the way that things were, which was not functional, not able to walk, not able to work, not able to do anything really. Or um, we could have replaced it. Now, the issue with ankle replacements is that they're not meant for young people. They're not meant for active people. And they're meant for people who have ankles. And my ankle was fused at that point, which means they cut out the ankle joint. So it would have been a very complicated surgery. Not a lot of doctors would do it. I found one who would, which was good. But really looking into the pros and the cons, the success rate is low. If it does work, it would have given me like a year and a half to five years with a leg that was still in pain, that still had a crap ton of scar tissue, that still had a lot of issues. So did I want to take the leap now? 
um, when I'm 28 instead of 32 and adjust to it now? Um, or did I want to continue sitting at home recovering from surgeries in more pain uh, because I didn't want to let go of something that was dying? And that's how I saw it. And I talked to a number of surgeons. This was on the spur of the moment decision, which a lot of people seem to think that it was. Um, but after much, 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 much consideration and talking with family for a long time and friends, we decided that this was the best option to go for. And, and I think you're right, uh, people from the outside, because they see the direct result. Uh, here's my yeah. leg and now it's gone. And you think, hey, you just woke up one morning and just said, okay, it's time. Let's do it. <laughs> right? Here we go. I'll talk to one doctor. Um, it, it's hard to know the full story of these things when, you, when you're sharing it in, in video form and getting your message out, but you don't want to take five years to explain everything you've gone through. Yeah. When we talk about pain, is there a way you can describe that pain um, that you were, that it was chronic pain, like when you woke yeah. up and to the point where you can't walk? I don't think I've experienced that pain for a long duration. Yes, when I had to have, yeah. you know, um, you know, I tore my MCL and fractured my oh, tibia. Yeah. yeah, but that was short term. Yes. I can't imagine getting up for years and years and still having that. What's that like? And what toll does that take? on your mental health? I think that's one of the, the biggest questions and a question that I honestly asked myself. Um, I'll get back to the rest of your question in a second, but something my husband was really concerned about is I've struggled with mental health for a long time. Like I've dealt with depression and anxiety and PTSD. And he was like, if you do this, I'm really concerned. You don't know what you're getting into and you're going to get super suicidal and everything is going to get a lot worse. And I was like, what you don't understand is like, that's where I am now. Like living in pain every day where it doesn't stop, where there's no way to get away from it, where I don't have any options and I can't do anything I like doing, that's agonizing. That's no end in sight. Like there's no hope in that. This is a way forward. At least this is a shot at something. This is a shot at a life I want. And yeah, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder than I could imagine. And for the record, it is, but it's still worth it. Um, and it wasn't like every day I was in screaming pain. Like there were days where I could, like I could walk from like my house to the car and from like my car, you know, to like another short location. But then I would take a step and I would like be in excruciating pain out of nowhere that I could never predict. Every day was completely unpredictable. I could be sitting on the couch and something would just shift in my ankle. I don't know why. And I would be in tears. So it was no way, um, to me, it was just no way to live anymore. And if I, if I took this option, there are good options when it comes to prosthetics and losing a part of your body that hurts you and has hurt you for years isn't the end of the world. It's a lot to adjust to. It is really challenging, but it was almost a mental health decision for me at that point because living in pain all the time pushes you really close to the edge. I could, I could definitely see that. You think of just how people who are in pain or people who are sick, they're, Hey, you get more impatient. You're more irritable, right? Exactly. Uh, you're really yeah. short with people. It, it pain it totally affects the, the body and the mind completely. Yeah. So now that uh, what's your pain level like now? And, and when was that surgery done? Where are you at in that healing process? Yeah. So I had the amputation done on October 11th. And so now it's mid-May. Um, the, the problem, the problem is I thought that maybe like if I took care of the problem that like kept going wrong, which was my ankle, that all my, like the problems might be fixed, but it turns out that my body just kind of likes 
temporarily seems to like continuing to have issues. So I've had lots of issues post-amputation. I've had to have one additional surgery so far. I may be looking at another one. So it still hurts. Like my leg still hurts. It's better than my ankle was. So I'll take that. Um, but I'm yeah. still very immobile and trying to figure out how to adjust to life without a leg when I can't use a prosthetic leg and um, when it's still very unpredictable. But it's seven months in. Um, that's not a long time. That's not a long time in the grand scheme of things. And before, like when I had a part of my body that hurt all the time, it was like walking in a dark tunnel, like towards more darkness. It, it, there, it wasn't going to get better. We might have gotten it to a slightly more sustainable point at, at best, but doing this, there was a chance at like life. It was like walking towards sunshine every day. Like things will get brighter. Even if they're really hard, they're going to get better and better. And that shifts, that shifts your perspective. You know, I think hope is one of the most important things a person can have. And if you, if you're losing that, if you're in a situation where it doesn't look like there's hope or it's never going to end, it's hard to keep your head on straight. And so this way it might be hard. It might be challenging. It might hurt now. I might be frustrated, but it's right now, like it's temporary and you can do anything temporarily. I, I think that's a, an amazing perspective to, to know that. Yeah. It's, it's seven months in that's actually a really short time for healing from yeah. such an intensive surgery. Right. Yeah. But what I'm always curious about is how you can have the perspective that you do with this type of situation and even with trauma talk, uh, you know, yeah. talking openly about sexual abuse and sexual assault and dealing with that in public on YouTube and now going through this, speaking about it publicly on YouTube, but also having a really positive outlook on what you're going through. Because I think a lot of us, myself included, when this happens, if this happened to me, I, you know, why me? My life sucks. Yeah. What's the point? Goodbye basketball, goodbye skiing, yeah. all of these different things. Seriously. So are there things that you're, are there tricks your mind's playing on you? Do you have to stay really alert to make sure you don't dive back into that depressive state? We want to know your secret. We want to know it now. <laughs> I'll tell How? you the secret. Just kidding. There isn't one. Okay. Um, I think, uh, honestly, it's funny because a lot of people um, have asked me the question of like, like, how are you so strong? Which I hate saying that, but it, they, they asked me that question. Yep. I think the answer is like, there's no shortcuts. You can't, you can't get to a better place without going through the really, really difficult stuff. And so before... I had my amputation before I talked to a surgeon about it. When I knew I was seriously considering it, I started working with a therapist because I was like, I know this is going to be a major deal. I know this is going to be a really big life change. Uh, how am I supposed to deal with this? And so I've been working with her every week since for like the last seven months. And the same thing with trauma talk. As soon as I went through all of that, I'm not, well, what I went through for people who were listening and don't know, I was in a really abusive relationship. I was sexually assaulted. And then after that, there was the fallout of kind of being abandoned by the church that I was a part of, which was my entire life. And so my world fell apart and same thing. I pretty quickly got into therapy, which I don't think is for any, you know, for everybody, but for me, it's been a very helpful guide and it's helped me actually do the hard work, like actually look at myself, actually face emotions, like actually have a hard time and not just zone out and not just ignore things and not just shove things, you know, under the rug. I'm sure I do with some things and, you know, we're working on that, but there's, there's no shortcuts. Like you can't get to a better mindset. You can't get to a better place. You cannot work through trauma or anything extraordinarily difficult without working through it without a, a lot of hurt. And so I don't think, um, 
I don't think there's ever a secret, you know, for anyone that we see that we're like, oh, they're really cool. You know, there's, there's usually, I think, a lot of really hard work behind that. And that's been the case for me. So time, you see time as a, as a healer and something that's on your side. You know, I think only, only if you're willing to participate in the process, because I know lots of people who have gone 20 or 30 years without ever facing trauma that they've gone through and they feel stuck because they've never looked at it. I think time is an amazing healer if you let it be a part of the process. If, you, if you're looking at whatever happened, if you're looking at whatever hurt, if you're looking at what your body needs, what your mind needs to heal and to get to a better place. But if you just shove it all down and pretend that nothing happened and pretend that you're fine and you, know, you don't wanna deal with anything difficult, I, I think time doesn't really matter. That's just been my experience though. Interesting. Because it's still there, you know, it's yeah. still there even if you push it away. Absolutely. Now, uh, with with your whole healing process, and and I love that that the notion of time and taking part in the process. And a lot of us, like we're human beings, we love shortcuts. We want things to happen oh, fast yes. and instantly. <laughs> that's why that's why half of the books sold in the world are about quick diets and and these things. Seven how to lose. seven steps to you know whatever. <laughs> that's right, of course. And and BuzzFeed got popular because they did here top tens. And you could just see the highlights and, and the news yeah. turned into top highlights for the news, right? And, and this is what's happening. We're, we're really uh, consuming short content and wanting to get things done fast. And we have yeah. quick, quick meals that you can just pop in the microwave instead of enjoying the process of cooking. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're obviously in, the, in this culture of, of speed and fast consumption. Now, when it comes to yeah. that, you shared your story on on youtube and social media and social media is a big part of people's um we could say challenges with mental health and it actually helps a lot of other people find community and everything what's your relationship to social media uh when it comes to trauma talk and the footless joe channels like how the heck can you share these deep personal things on youtube and has it helped or has it has it not i think that's such a Good question. It's something I'm excited to like think about and talk about because it's been a bit of a unique experience going through all of this very publicly because I didn't expect that to be the case. Like I started filming videos for myself in like in September of 2018 regarding my journey with amputation when I knew that like, okay, this might actually be happening. My intention was not necessarily to publish them. I just have learned from doing trauma talk on YouTube that if I say things out loud, trying to make them make sense to someone else somewhere on the internet to like a camera that they start making a little bit more sense to me. And so I had had that in the back of my head. So as I knew I was going to be facing something that was really difficult, I turned on a camera and just started talking to it and trying to make my emotions make sense for someone else. And, and the byproduct of that is that they make a lot more sense to me. And so I decided when I actually had my surgery, I was like, you know what, I'll publish these videos. I, my honest thought was, who is ever actually going to be in this situation? Cause like the first videos I published were the thought process of like, should I have my leg cut off? Like, what are the pros and cons of that? Like, how do I work through this? What are other people thinking? Should I pay attention to them? Like it was just kind of the whole thought process. And I thought like maybe five people in the world will ever go through that, you know, like right. what a weird, random, bizarre situation. That was extremely naive of me to think because actually a lot of people go through that little did I know and then it just caught on. Uh, a lot of people got really 
interested. I think we're very interested in people who have different life experiences than us or things that we can't imagine going through. And so we want to see how they go through it. Like I definitely watch people that I'm fascinated by who have different lives than I have. And so as I continued, like as I had the amputation surgery and as I continued through the next many months, I kept making videos about it. I kept making videos about the process, but the thing that I tried to do because it was like half for me really was to be honest about it, was to be as vulnerable as I could to a camera about like the things that sucked, the things that were really freaking difficult. Because I think that there's almost this pressure <laughs> that comes with being an amputee that you're supposed to be inspirational. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but like I, we always see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We always see like, you know, the highlight reels of people missing arms or legs doing amazing, cool things and look at all the awesome things they're doing and how inspirational they are. And that's the word yeah. everyone comes back to. And uh, I felt that pressure. And I think part of fighting back against that pressure was making videos about like how hard things would be and I'd have like really good days too so I tried to just like bring people into the process and um things kind of blew up a lot more than I expected and so suddenly thousands and thousands and thousands of people were a part of my journey where I meant it to be just for like a small community I wasn't planning on it being anything larger and I think that's a really kind of unique experience to have because then everyone has their two cents, right? Everyone has their opinion. And I had so many people telling me that I had made the wrong decision, that I was like stupid or dumb, or I didn't know what I was doing with my life, or I should have done something else. Or why didn't I look into like fill in the blank? Cause I had, um, I think the first thing that happened was I had a, a lad Bible video that like went out to a couple million people and reading what, through what, comments. sorry, a what a lad, lad Bible. LAD, LAD Bible. It's like a social media site that's got, they've got millions of followers. I think, oh. I think it's big in the UK. Pretty sure that's where it is. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I just thousands and thousands of comments telling me like how dumb I was at a time when I was really trying to make peace with it. And I think hateful comments in quotes, I don't think it's necessarily hateful. Like people are just giving their opinions, but when people give opinions that are that are painful or not delivered in a respectful way, it's a great opportunity to be like, why does this bother me so much? Like, why is this really affecting me? Why do I, why do I feel hurt by the fact that people are telling me that like I made the wrong choice? Because who are they? Like, why would I care about their opinion somewhere in the world? And it was a good chance to evaluate like what I was insecure about and what I needed to deal with and what buttons you know, hurt to be pushed on because there's a lot to deal with when you go through this big of a life change. So there are definitely negative aspects of going through all of this in, you know, the light of social media, but I think primarily it's been really positive. And the more that I have tried to be vulnerable, because that's difficult to do, especially in social media where it's not as popular, I guess, to be like, this is really difficult and I'm having a hard time, but I'm like trying to keep my head on straight and move forward. Um, people end up being really encouraging. Like I get so, so much support from the community that has built around me and I'm incredibly grateful for that and they help keep me on track. And I think one of the biggest things for me with social media, with making YouTube videos about all of this is that like on days where I didn't want to do anything, where I just wanted to curl up in a ball and sit on the couch and hate life and feel sorry for myself and be in pain, I'd be like, you know what, I should 
like express something about this, like depression to expression. Like I, I need to turn this right. into something. I need to create something with it. And there was a reason to do something. And then as I got further down the process, as I was like getting my first prosthetic and then going through realizing that that wasn't going to work and I was going to have to have more surgery and all of that, get out of the house and make a video about how hard it is to get out of the house and how difficult it is for people to like stare at me and stuff like that, but do it anyways. And it wasn't for me in my head. I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this for other people, but I'm really doing it for me. And so it helped me face a lot of challenges that I think would have been very easy to like, just stay home, just not deal with stuff. It's been primarily an extraordinarily positive thing in my journey. That's so great because a lot of the time you hear and you, you can look at the data and we're still fairly new in our social yeah. media world. It's still new. The data is still coming in, but a, a lot of the stories are definitely negative, especially towards kids, yeah. but it's great to, to hear a story like yours where you've, you've flipped it around and used social media to not only other people's benefit, but your own. Yeah. Do, you, do you see yourself, I wouldn't say addicted, but do you now feel the need to use that as an outlet? Are you more comfortable, you know, saying something to a camera rather than saying something to, to people in real life? That's a super good question. Um, to some extent, yes, I think. It's easier to put things into words for myself, for lots of people in my house alone to a camera than it is to like actually engage with someone who's standing in front of me and tell them like, what a hard time I'm having. It's really uncomfortable for me that some people in my actual life watch my videos because I'm like, oh, ugh, crap, you heard me talking about like how I felt <laughs> a really dark depression and like, hey, I'm fine now. Like, <laughs> really, I don't want to talk about it right now. Right, right. You know? So um, so to some extent, yeah, I think it is a lot easier to put things in, you know, out, out for other people. But it, it's a struggle to, to disconnect with that to um like there was there was a couple weeks where we went to ireland we took a trip to ireland before my most recent surgery in march with my husband and like my best friend and her husband and there was like no internet reception anywhere we were and so like i wasn't i was taking video for like you know some kind of like big video about it but generally i would upload video like every day every other day something like that and i couldn't do that for like two weeks and it was a really good reminder of the fact that it can be a way to avoid dealing with things like it's, it's a great way. It's a great, um, talking, like seeing comments come in and seeing people, you know, view a video and like it and, you know, say that something that you said connected with them or whatever, or give input. That's all a great way to get distracted from really dealing with something from really feeling something or really like talking to someone in your real life who knows you, who actually knows you. Cause people on the internet only see one side of me, only see what I'm, I'm showing. And I try to be very honest with that, but at the same time, that is not the same as, as sitting to a person in front of you and talking to them. So it can be used as a way to um, like live in denial or avoid things. And so I have to be careful with that. And I really try to make a point of disconnecting every now and again, so that I'm not just caught up in the world of, of being someone for someone else, but just being someone for me. And that can be uncomfortable. You're 28 years old, correct? Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm 29. I think you have a oh. a 60 year old mind, like very wise, <laughs> very very wise. Because well, I appreciate that. Uh, well, I only figured this stuff out. I've been on YouTube a long time, but it don't. It took yeah. me until recently to realize that how how important and how prioritized the in person stuff needs to be. 
it, yeah. it just like you said, you can you can receive validation even from uh, comments, videos, but even I've noticed from the public speaking that I do, you know, you get a cl- uh, applause whether the presentation's good or not. To be honest, yeah, people are going to applaud, and you're like, "Oh, that feels good. That feels good." But we have to realize where where do we become validated? Where is our self worth actually coming from? Right? Yeah. Um, because if you don't get views or the channel drops, you have to be like. I have something left rather than, yeah, it's like the YouTube's gone or I'm not creating videos. Therefore, who am I anymore? Yeah, I'm not really this though. YouTuber. I'm not this person that people look up to um, and admire. So I think that's really great that you've, you've noticed the importance of, of real in real lifetime, right? Going to Ireland, being with three people beside you and saying, this is it. It's one, two, three. These are the humans I'm with. Uh, an interesting thing I think you may be able to relate to is another reason why I think YouTube is really great for self-expression is just a a quick example. It's if I'm at work and uh, there was one time this, this microwave was smoking at work, right? And people are like, and these three people just went on a a little rant about, Oh, I never use microwaves. They're so bad for you and your health. And I just wanted to acknowledge this and just go on a rant right there and challenge these people's psyche and just, you know, have a full on battle. Yeah. But then part of me is like, Oh, that'd be really dickish to kind of come out and, you know, have that conversation. Maybe it's better if I just go home turn on the camera and I can rant here about this situation <laughs> rather than interfering with people's day to day and seeming like a know-it-all. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. That uh, has that, sense. yeah. Has that happened uh, to you at all with your expression on social media? I think, I think it's, um, I think it's a way of, oh, I just hit the mic. Sorry there guys. That's okay. Um, it's a way of, of formulating things and like taking the, I don't want to say the sting out of it, but I, I can like hold myself together better in some situations because I know I have a place to put it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, which kind of like your story kind of reminds me of that. Like you want to yell at the stupid people ranting about the stupid microwave, but like you hold whatever you're feeling until you get home and you can talk to a camera or whatever. And <laughs> way about the yeah. that I go through. Like, I know I have a place to, if it's not like talking to people around me, which I absolutely do. I know that I also have a location I can go and, and like put my time and my effort and my creativity or whatever I want to do with it. And it helps, like it feels better. And I don't have to like yell at my doctor, about what a stupid person he's being, why he's communicating badly and why this never should have happened. You know, I can just, I can, I can hold that. And like, let it die down a little bit, think about it, and then decide what I want to do with it. Right. And, and that's why, you know, you can, call, you can call yourself a YouTuber or a creator. But either yeah. way, it's the, YouTube is that part of self-expression. Some people will come home and they'll play an instrument. They'll, they'll paint. Yeah. They'll, they'll clean their apartment, you know, to, to soothe themselves or express themselves. One way, I think, is YouTube to create something, edit something that's cool, something that you like. But the cool thing is then you get to put it online and see what happens versus yes. a person, yes, they paint for themselves, but you don't have the world as a canvas yet. Um, I think that's really cool. And what you're doing is using, again, social media mm-hmm. for, for good. So as far as, as far as YouTube is concerned, why do you think it, it caught fire? Are a lot of the people, a lot of your viewers also amputees or they know someone or... What, what's 
They're, it's just your amazing not. personality. I think that's the big thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, uh, a lot of them aren't. Right at first, like the first, like, I don't know, 10,000 views I had, a lot of them were amputees who were like going through something and like probably searching something really specific to that. But after that, not at all. I get messages and comments all the time. It's almost, I almost feel like it's apologetic. Like, hey, I'm not going through the same thing at all, but like, I want to tell you about what I'm going through. And I so, I so appreciate that. I love hearing people's stories, but they're usually really different than mine. And that's one of the reasons why on the, on the bio that I wrote that you read at the beginning here, I talk about how like we may not have the same life experiences, but I honestly don't think that matters. I think so many things are, are common. Like grief is common to pretty much everybody. At some point in your life, you're going to experience grief and trauma. People are going to experience it differently. Like how you respond to it is going to be different, but, but elements of trauma are the same for a lot of different people. And so I don't know why people got so interested in my story. They, they did. Um, and they've stuck around. A lot of them have, but most of them aren't amputees. A lot of them aren't even, to my understanding, physically disabled, um, which makes for an interesting conversation, an interesting community, because you get a lot of different perspectives. Which is another bonus of social media. Now, yeah. uh, negatives, you said the, the comments part is, and I think we talked offline about this. It's, it's like if, if 28% or 10% of your comments are negative, you've really made it. Yeah, you've reached exactly. a broader audience, right? <laughs> Is that really the only negative you see with, uh, with social media and you no. using it for this? What are some other big, big things that you need to think about and control? And, um, and I'll just add this. I don't even really see that necessarily as a negative, like the, the negative comments. Just quick side story, if you'll allow me. But people have said some, like, the, I remember one situation in particular where someone was telling me why I was so dumb for doing what I did. And they were, they like typed out a long, like in the comment section, like a three paragraph analysis of my psychology and why I had a psychological disorder called body integrity identity disorder, which is where someone essentially feels like a part of their body doesn't belong to them. And once it's gone and like was analyzing me and telling me why this is what I had going on. And I was like, no, I've, I've never felt like that. I liked my foot actually quite a lot. I would have liked to keep it. This, this is not a fun time. Like I would never go through this optionally. But then I like took a, took a day or two and then responded to them in as like kind of a way as I could. Like I didn't get mad at them and call them like a stupid idiot for thinking that about me. And like, how could they say something so mean to me? Cause like it, it hurt at that time. And then they responded with a really long comment again, talking about how a family member had died from that disorder, like how they, they dealt with body integrity identity disorder and it had like gotten out of control to the point where they had like gotten infections from it and, and like passed away and like shared their whole story. And if I hadn't commented back something that was inviting of a conversation, I would have just seen that person as a really mean person. But their response led me to believe like, oh, this has nothing to do with me. Like what you're saying to me has, has nothing to do with me. Like you've gone through something, you're hurting in some way. And I'm just the, I'm just the recipient of whatever you're going through. Right, right. Everyone and, needs that kind of outlet and you're the, you're yeah. the outlet for them. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, that's happened with a number of other comments where someone said something that I see as unkind or mean or I don't like. And so I'll respond to them like a person, you know, and then we actually start a conversation and I realize it has something to do about like their life. And so the the 10% or 28% or whatever that are mean comments, I don't think are necessarily bad things because either, not all the time, but either they start conversations or they tell me where 
I need to grow or where I need to work on something because why does it hurt unless there's something there to work on? But um, onto your larger question, I think for me, I'm not sure what it is for you, but I think the other downfall of social media is that it's a good, it can be a good mask if you let it be. Like it can be the place where you reside. It can be the place I find validation. It can be like, like all of that. And it's easy to get caught up in numbers and forget about people and stories and like that's why I'm doing this and that's why it matters and that's a real fight sometimes and I hate saying that like I hate saying that sometimes like <laughs> care about like I look at numbers and like I'm like oh I wish you know something had been more successful or like why aren't more people clicking on it or whatever and um it's easy to get caught up in that mindset and I I work really hard to like rein myself back in and be like no like connect with people and and be authentic and who cares if it blows up or doesn't um, but that's a, I think that's definitely a negative. It's really easy to get caught up in that. It is, it is easy. And, and it takes a lot of discipline not to sit there and watch your likes go up. Yeah. It takes, yeah. that's why with, with kids, you know, they don't have that mindset yet and they've created, uh, there, there's currency in social media for them and your validation and self-worth is now measured and yeah. People our age, oh, you're yeah. way more mature than than I am. But you've already discovered that <laughs> you've already discovered that you do need to be disciplined. And the best thing I think that you've admitted is your feelings towards it because it is hard. That's admitting yeah. it right there. Yeah. Not like I'm better than this. I don't need validation. But meanwhile, you're actually scrolling through. <laughs> yeah, and that's like amazing to admit. It feels good when you get 500 likes versus 72. We yes. can agree, right? So that's like, that's step one that I think you've realized and, and, and which kids have very, a lot of trouble doing. But what you've realized too is as long as you can be disciplined, create authentic content, be yourself and you put it out in the world, whatever happens, happens, right? You're, yeah. you're okay with what you've created. I think that's amazing. Now we have to get into the nitty gritty here. <laughs> let's do it for for listeners and viewers we did a collaboration I, what did we speak about it was well it was christianity and mental illness yeah. but it was yeah 11 months ago yeah unbelievable how time flies oh my god so much has changed <laughs> so much has changed but yet we're still now we're here and oh my gosh unbelievable um so we spoke about uh, your church and how they view mental illness now your role, or I should say God's role in your life and through this difficult, traumatic time, to say the very least, um, yeah. is, is he, she, it uh, playing a role in this healing process? <laughs> How are you now relating to the, oh, great question. this entity <laughs> in the sky? Yeah, I think you didn't, you didn't uh, think God was going to be part of this one, did you? No, I didn't. I wasn't yeah. prepared. I like it. It's better that way. Sweet. <laughs> So I think that's a hard question for me because like you talked about, yeah, we did, we did a collaboration 11 months ago talking about um, how the church can really not do a great job of dealing with mental health and can really twist how things should be talked about, to put it nicely. And I've had not a great experience in the American Christian church because uh, I was raised in it and I was like inundated with all of it and I bought into every piece of it and then it all came crashing down. And um, 
it's taken a really long time to have any kind of faith. Like it never actually went away. Like I really tried to, I really tried to kill it in me. I like tried to kill all faith in me because I was like, no, that just caused pain in my life. Like I'm done with it, but it wouldn't go away. Um, so I've always held on to some kind of belief in, in something like some kind of higher power, some kind of God. Um, and that, that God is a loving force, regardless of what we might see terrible in the world. Um, that's just what I've felt like those are just the experiences that I've had. And so I think the same thing is echoed in all of this, like in, in this experience, I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't ask like questions of why to God. A lot of people are like, you know, like, why did this happen to me, God? I don't think we have a close enough relationship yet for me to like, for me to be like, why did this happen, God? Right. But we're working on it. Like I, I, it's, it's an open conversation. Um, I feel like, I feel like spirituality is, is a part of this journey, but it's a very small part. I'm, I'm working on getting more comfortable with it. So when, so you, you haven't had a moment where you asked why God or why me? Has that, has that ever come into your mind? Like after the amputation and, and during these 14 years and, and everything, yeah. like there are moments where, were there moments where you say, why me? Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? You know, it, how, how do you deal with those thoughts that have come up? And is there blame yeah. for that guy? There's, there's never been blame, except like there was totally blame when uh like like the guy who sexually assaulted me was a was a pastor so and was like a huge spiritual leader in my life and everyone who was around me at that time was super super christian and like charismatic and like heard from god and all of this stuff and yeah that was um i did have a lot of 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 pissed off questions at god at that point but when it came to physical stuff i never really asked the question why I think because I was kind of told that it wasn't super okay to ask. Um, so I, I, that was one of those things that I like put in a box deep down. Right. It's like, no, you can't, you can't think about that. You can't ask that question. But um, I would honestly say over the last seven months, I've started to feel the pain of the last 14 years. Because when you have something like this happen as a kid, I mean, first of all, you don't have emotional coping tools in place to properly process something. Like I was just going through stuff. I was just like surviving. I was getting it done. And people would always congratulate me on being like resilient or not being bitter or whatever. And that was when I was a kid growing up. And so I heard those things and I was like, oh, that's what I have to be. I have to look like I'm super resilient and I have to never be bitter. And so I never was those things. I was never angry. I was never really like, what the hell? Like my entire life is being taken over by pain and surgery. Then like all I want to do is live. And it's been up until working with this counselor over the last like seven months that, I, that I've really looked at all of those years and started to kind of feel a little bit of the pain of the loss of all of that and started to feel a little bit of it with what's happening now and like how much I feel like I should I know so many people and they're wonderful people who have lost limbs and they're like this is the best that ever happened to me like I've grown so much from it like it's amazing and I just can't say that Scott I just can't like <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be that cool. Maybe one day I will be, but like, yeah. no, it's not the best thing that's ever happened to me. It sucks. Like, I'm not a big fan. Yes, it's helping me grow. Like, yes, it's opening up amazing doors for me, but I would like to just be able to walk like a normal person. Like, that'd be cool. And yeah. so I think I'm dealing with uh, with that, but it's not directed up yet. 
at least. Like, it's not directed towards God. It's kind of just like a, a, a yell at it, the world. Like, right, right. You're very ground, <laughs> grounded in your yelling. Yes, right. Exactly. And I think that's what makes you very, well, honest and, and relatable because on YouTube, social media, TV, you see not just people who have lost limbs, but people with mental yeah. illness too. And people oh, yeah. who deal with all kinds of things like, yeah, it was the best thing that happened. Look at, look at me now. I, I've grown <laughs> so much. I'm so happy. I have seven secrets to your success. Yeah, right? Exactly. Now, right? So <laughs> I think that, that a big part of the healing is accepting, saying this sucks, saying life sucks right now. And you don't have to look on the bright side the first yeah. month, the first I, six months. God, I really hope not. Yeah, right? <laughs> like miserably if that's the case. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I think, you know, just as you said, social media can be a mask if you were dishonest and, and saying this is all good for me and I'm going to become a better person because of it. You can honestly say, yeah, like today really sucks. Um not happy with myself today or not happy with what happened. I'm in quite a bit of pain. This sucks. Yeah. And I think people are thirsty for that now. People yeah. can relate to that now because we've been pushed this, this forced positivity for a long time, it seems. And people want real people that they watch, right? Reality TV yeah. was awesome when it first came out because people are like, oh my God, real people on TV. And now from reality TV, we have YouTube and it's like, oh, real people on, on the computer, right? Um, yeah. which is, which is amazing. I think what you're doing is, is fantastic. Now, just one other question I have is the relationship you have with, with your family and how, yeah. how has this, how has this affected them and your relationships? Because a lot of people forget, um, not you obviously, but a lot of people from the outside with, with mental illness, you know, it's not just about yeah. the person dealing with it. It puts a lot of worry and stress on the people that we're close to. So have you had that conversation with your husband and, and, and family and, and how has that conversation gone and what's it like now? That's a, a really good question. I think that's important to note that it doesn't just affect the person, it's affect, whatever it is, like whether it's mental health or illness or like a physical issue or surgery or trauma or grief, whatever, like it affects the people that are around you, that are close to you, that care about you. And that was a reason I almost didn't go through with this because I was like, this is going to be extraordinarily inconvenient for the people in my life. Like specifically my mom, my dad, and my husband, my mom, my dad live like 30 minutes away. So they, which is great. Um, they're a huge part of, of helping and I wouldn't have been able to do this without them. But when I brought this idea up, so my mom and my dad have been there since the beginning, right? Like they've seen this entire process. They were there when I fell off the horse, like, you know, a few minutes after, and they've been with me through every surgery and they've seen all of it. They know like the depth of pain and to put it lightly inconvenience in my life. Like I had to leave the school that I loved because I had to come home for more surgeries. Like that, that's just an example of the things that it's taken away in my life for lack of a, a better way to put it. So when I brought it up to both of them, I kind of expected them to be like, oh my God, no, you could never. But both my mom and my dad were kind of like, well, kind of makes sense. Given everything you've gone through, I can understand why you'd be thinking that way. My brother was the same way. But bringing it up with my husband, who's known me for six years, uh, who hasn't seen me go through everything, he's been with me through a couple surgeries, but his, his perspective was understandably really different. His perspective was like, no, no, you're not, no, no we're not going to do that until you've exhausted every possible other option, because why would you ever think about 
amputating a part of your body if you had not exhausted every possible way of keeping it connected. Right. And so it took a lot of conversations and it took taking him with me to, like I opened up my doctor's appointments to my family. Like I didn't want to go just by myself, but like I brought my dad and my, my husband with me to every one of them when we were seriously talking about things so they could ask questions. It was honestly like more for them at that point because I knew that they had good questions to ask and questions that they would need to ask. And um, it took a while for, for Brian, Brian's my husband, Brian and I to come to the understanding. And his, his perspective was like, I support you either way. Like, it's not going to change how I look at you. I just don't want you to do something you're going to regret because you can't take it back. And uh, eventually when I made the decision, because I scheduled the other surgery first, like I scheduled the ankle replacement surgery. And then I just like sunk into such a bad place because I knew that was not what I wanted. That was not what I wanted at all. Like I was doing that for other people. Mm. And it's, I mean, I guess it's a, it's an exercise in assertiveness and in, in knowing yourself and knowing what you want. Like I never really done anything for me. I'd always kind of gone along with this process. I'd always just had to have the next surgery. I'd never had a say in anything. And this was a time where I could really take some time to think about what I wanted for myself. And I knew what I wanted for myself. Like I wanted to be done with this. I wanted to move on to the next step. I wanted to actually move forward with my life. And so eventually we had that conversation and he had a hard time with it for like a very short period of time. And then he just was totally on board. And I think there was probably a lot of behind the scenes of him having a hard time, but at least what he displayed to me was like total support and acceptance. And which is, I mean, I can never thank him enough for, and same with my family and same with my friends. Um, I've not had a lot of negative experiences in, in real life with people. People have been really great and really supportive and, um, yeah, I really could not have done this without the support of other people because it's it's so much more than I thought it would be. You know, it's it's so much more emotionally exhausting and physically exhausting and, and everything. And so having people there and recognizing that they need support too has been really important. I think that's a big part of 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 as you can agree, the the physical part and physically helping you do these things, but the mental part is just huge when it comes to our, our relationships with other people and how social we are in our environments. It's absolutely massive. Dealing with with depression alone, yeah, even with alone in a therapist, is just completely different ballgame between you, the therapist, and a family that supports you. Unbelievable yeah. difference. Whoop, excuse me. Um, so, no, I, I think that's, that's incredible that you've had that, that support system. Now, now, here's the last thing I want to ask is <laughs> um, we could talk for hours. Now, a lot of people have difficulty talking about these things. We know stigma exists and, and yeah. you speak very openly and you have for a long time about, about trauma, about depression and anxiety that you've experienced and now about uh, this, this physical change that you've gone through and then the mental health implications around that and you even yeah. use the T word therapy it's incredible <laughs> i can't believe you say the t word <laughs> now uh, in your experience um because you hear from a lot of people with your with your channel and are connected yeah. with a lot and what what do you think stopping people from being open about this does society need to change or do the people need to change well i mean people people make a society we're all scared to talk about stuff if, if everyone was more open, I mean, things would change. I think it makes perfect sense to be terrified to talk about stuff. There's so much 
so much judgment that exists for so many things. And I can talk about that a lot more when it comes to the experience I've had with, with like the trauma that I went through, like not related to my amputation. People are really understanding when it comes to physical limitation. They're a lot more understanding with that than if you've been, if you've been raped, like generally it's your fault. Like that, that's honestly the reaction that I've gotten from a lot of people. Like, what did I do wrong? What did I do to like deserve that? Or what, like, what did I do to provoke that? Jeez. Sincerely, that is wow. the reaction that I've had. And it was in part because of that and in part because of getting really angry of, of like how I was being treated and, and angry that everyone I knew was being treated the same way and like being silenced because of this. But the biggest thing was it was well-meaning people. Like I've spent more time in therapy working through, not more time, probably legitimately an equal amount of time working through the hurt that's been caused me by people who cared about me, people who were trying to help, but people who ended up like blaming me for everything that happened because they were like, they didn't know what to say. And it really messed with my head. They weren't, they weren't evil. They weren't trying to do anything wrong. They were just like being people. They were uneducated and ignorant and they hurt me so badly. And that like, planted a seed in my head a long time ago that it took a long time to actually find the like courage or strength to be able to speak out about to start educating people and just telling my story and like just putting it out there and hopefully doing so in a way that people can that like doesn't scare people as much um as other situations do so that maybe that stops happening so that that unnecessary pain isn't caused in like one situation so that maybe more people can understand and i think that's the same thing that I've done when it comes to amputation, you know, just telling your story, more people can possibly understand different aspects of it. But what stops more people, I think is the, it's understandably terrifying. Like you, to some extent, I think you have to make peace with the shitty things that people are gonna say to you. Um, cause, cause it does happen, but you have to find support for that too. So once you have like that support in place, whatever that looks like, whether it's like an online support group, whether it is a therapist, whether it's a family or a good friend or, or whatever, find that as a base and then start experimenting with your voice, like start journaling and, you know, writing authentically about it. And then maybe put that into a blog or, or, you know, do a YouTube video or whatever. If that's something someone wants to do, like if that's, if that's an inclination, if that's a passion that you have just start playing around with it and seeing what it might look like for you. Cause it doesn't have to be, it's not all at once. You know, you just kind of see what works for you. And the result for me is that I have found so much healing, just exponentially more than hiding things. The more I put things in the light, the, the better that I've gotten. So I encourage people as they're ready, as they want to, to talk because it helps you and it helps other people. Would that be your, your final message if I asked you, you know, if it, whoever's listening right now and watching someone struggling either with a physical illness, but, but then it manifests uh, mentally, someone yeah. who's scared to speak up, someone who's in the depths of depression or some type of mood disorder and they're scared to speak up, what, what uh, invitation would you give them? What would you like to say to them? I mean, I would start by saying... I've completely been there and I've been there for years of time and I understand like I get how completely isolating and super super alone and dark and like just on the edge of hopeless because like if you're completely hopeless I think you just you just quit you're just done and I've been like just on the cusp where I have I felt I felt no hope but it, it obviously must have been there somewhere because I'm still here and I think the one thing that I would say if you're like in that place 
where everything is just pitch black, just, just keep going to bed and just keep waking up. Like if there is nothing else you can do, there were many days where that is the only thing that I held on to. Is like, I can, if I can just make it to the end of the day and go to sleep, that's all I'm aiming for. Cause there is nothing else that I want. Everything hurts. Like everything sucks. Like I'm done, but I kept doing that. And then you find, then you find something to hang on to. Then I found like a piece of a sport that I really liked. And then I found art and then I just kept experimenting, but it took a while. And so I would say to anyone feeling like that, that like, I, I get it. I have legitimately been there. I am not there anymore. And um, it, it honestly can get better. Joe, thank you so much for your time. This thank has been, an I, of course, it's been an eye-opening experience. Um, everyone watching and listening, thank you so much. Check out Joe's YouTube channels. All the links are in the description. Um, and, and have yourself uh, an amazing evening, night, sleep, morning, whenever you're listening to this. Um, take care, stay strong, keep being you, and express yourself. Thanks, Joe.